This is the City of God podcast, where Christ meets culture. I want to welcome you to the City of God podcast, where we are tackling today's hot-button cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, John Ray. John, so good to see you today. Good to see you, Rob. How's everything today? Excellent. And on this podcast today, we're going to dive into talking about the changing landscape of Christianity, particularly in North America, because it does seem at every conference, convention, book you read, internet blog you come across, it seems like uh, the historic Christian faith uh, is under attack, uh, and it's rapidly sh- uh, changing. Yeah, there's there's no question that we live in very divisive times, just culturally speaking. We all know that. Uh, but we've seen that seep into the Christian world in ways that are perhaps predictable, perhaps that we've seen happen before, but that have to be noticed and have to be dealt with. Because you, we live in a culture now where you have a vast sort of media, it's not a, it's not a conspiracy, they just all think the right, they all think the same way. They don't, they didn't get together and decide this. They just all think the same way. But you have this academic atmosphere, this media atmosphere, this cultural atmosphere that cancels people who have biblical views on marriage, on gender, on on a couple of these hot button issues that affect the culture. Well, that then puts the Bible-believing Christian in a, a spot because are we going to obey man or are we going to obey God? What we see happening is that temptation to obey man and to sort of capitulate to the culture while dressing it up in spiritual garb becomes very strong in a cancel culture. Absolutely. And I think the problem is now we're seeing the church embracing the progressive ideologies. Yeah. In order to accommodate uh, those, uh, you know, maybe on the other side and to welcome them. And they use phrases like, we want to be a big tent denomination or a big tent church movement. Uh, And what they mean for that by that, that's kind of code language for, well, we want to be a little more accepting, a little more embracing of other people and ideologies that the historic Christian faith would say, uh, not that they're not welcomed, but that this is clearly sin and uh, their lifestyle or their beliefs are outside of what God would deem kind of his design for life and humanity. And this is really a temptation that all generations have to deal with. You are, as we record this program, you are a a doctoral graduate of Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. You'll be uh, at your graduation ceremony later this month. I'm not sure exactly when this program will air, but you're about to to walk down the aisle and and get your degree, uh, your doctorate from Westminster. That seminary was founded by J. Gresham Machen, who himself fought these battles over 100 years ago. He left, uh, it was Princeton right? Yeah, he was Princeton, Princeton Seminary yep. because they were giving up biblical truth. They were once a once faithful bastion. They were capitulating to the culture. And what was happening was Darwin's theory had taken hold. Evolutionary thought was in the air. Uh, there was this growing notion that, well, miracles and the supernatural are, are ancient superstitions. And mm-hmm. so we need to keep the core of the Christian faith, but divest ourselves of all these supernatural elements. Well, Machen recognized if you 
you do that, you are you are losing the entire gospel. You are losing. There's there's no core there left when you remove the supernatural. When you re, yeah. when you remove the the miracles. And so he began Westminster Seminary on that basis because the the seminaries already were beginning to capitulate to the culture around them. The issues may be different now. That battle's been fought, but the issues now really seem to hinge so often, Rob, on gender and sexuality and race. The, those are the the sort of big three issues that are causing division and are causing some to depart from the biblical faith. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would say both movements, liberalism um, back in, in the 1920s and 30s, mm-hmm. uh, attacking historic Christianity and uh, progressive Christianity that we're seeing now uh, in the 21st century, they're certainly cut from the same cloth, liberal, liberalism and progressive Christianity. And what we're seeing is these Marxist ideologies creeping into our church. So you'll hear pastors say, um, although we do not fully embrace critical race theory, there are certain elements that we can certainly glean from it. Mm-hmm. There are certain elements that can be uh, teachable to our congregations without failing to recognize that critical race theory is rooted in Marxism. It's another expression of cultural Marxism in the 21st century. Uh, well, if anything has its roots in Marxism, uh, there's not anything we could possibly glean from it because we understand what it's rooted and grounded in. Um, and so I think it's important that we wake up and and I think we understand uh, that there is such thing in the North American church as the Christian left or the evangelical left. Uh, it's, it's the embrace of these liberal uh, secular Marxist ideologies being combined and infused with Christianity, all for the sake of cultural accommodation, all for the sake of what many would say, well, we still want to have a seat at the table, uh, that, that seat of influence, that seat of uh, being able to speak into the issues of our day. Right. Uh, but it, what they're doing is abandoning the historic faith, abandoning the word of God, and instead embracing these secular liberal Marxist ideologies. I've been thinking about this for a little bit. I'm curious to get your reaction to this. My, I've got a little working theory of my own, and that is that a lot of these ways of dealing with these issues uh, in quote-unquote progressive Christianity really result from just a sort of and this sounds insulting, I don't mean it to be, but I don't know how else to get to it. It results from a a shallow reading of just certain statements of Jesus without really any of the backing of the entire biblical witness that tells us what the will of God is. So for instance, we all recognize that the Bible has some important things to say about race and about racial reconciliation. And it's a good thing to pursue that, that, uh, the, the, that from a biblical perspective, racism is an evil thing, that there is no male nor female, Gentile or Greek, all are one in Christ Jesus, that, that we are to, to, to surpass those, those very uh, sort of um, ephemeral boundaries in, in our churches. So you have a good, you have a good motive. 
Then, though, what happens is, well, okay, racial reconciliation is good. So churches say whatever goes under the banner of racial reconciliation, ergo, is good. Well, critical race theory has flown in under that banner. And as you just pointed out, it is not good. There's not any part of it is good. Uh, I, I'm a, a Southern Baptist elder. Rob, you're a, a PCA pastor. Um, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on in both of our denominations. But uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention in 2019, they uh, adopted a dr- drafted a resolution regarding intersectionality and critical race theory and basically said uh, in this resolution that uh, they they can't be adopted whole hog, but they are tools that can aid uh, in evaluating. They're useful tools in in evaluating Absolutely. things. And you're you're taking a tool, as you said, founded in Marxism. What's what's the what's what are the prime tenets of Marxism? Well, atheism is at the root of it. Mm-hmm. It's it's explicitly avowedly yep. atheistic. So yeah. you're taking and a purely an, secular state. Exactly. You're taking an ideology that says there is no God. Now here's how we look at race. Yep. What could possibly be useful for that, but I Nothing. think I think well-meaning people, at least in my own denomination, I want to I want to believe that they were well-meaning in the Southern Baptist Convention. Some well-meaning people are duped by this. Absolutely. So you have the Christian left, and what they're doing is they're instead of you're absolutely right. I mean, God cares about justice. Uh, but justice as it's defined by his word, exactly. which means his righteousness being the standard, his righteousness being the standard when it comes to race, when it comes to uh, people having rights and people being treated fairly uh, in all cultures throughout history. But it's all defined by his word, his his righteous standard of truth be, uh, being uh, exercised by the people of God in all of life and throughout all of culture. But what has happened with the Christian left is they have taken these Marxist ideologies, they've taken this idea of social justice, which is rooted in uh, the norms and the laws and the standards of society, uh, divided and disconnected from God's word and from his truth. And instead, they've tried to advance social justice and not biblical justice as the standard for what is right and what is fair and what is uh, what what brings about true what in their minds equity uh, for people that have been oppressed, and what happens then is the church that is advancing their idea of biblical justice is considered the oppressor. Mm-hmm. They're considered the bigot. They're considered antiquated and archaic. And now you have the Christian left partnering not with. Uh, the churches that are standing on God's infallible word, but now in, in partnership with the government uh, to advance their ideals and their agendas. And often standing in partnership with those, as you pointed out, who are calling Bible believers oppressive and bigots and, and so forth. And that that's exactly what I'm talking about, Rob, is that, uh, you know, there's this sort of shallow reading. I, social justice, would social justice be a good thing? Yes. In terms of we want actual justice in society. What is yep. actual justice? Well, it has to be based on God's truth. What does that mean? That means it's got to take all of the teachings of Jesus into consideration, all of the teachings of Paul, all the teachings of Peter and the apostles. It's got to take the 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 law into into advisement. It's got to see what Moses says. What what do we find in Deuteronomy? What do we? All of those things have to be. And, and instead, it's just abstracted. So we say, well, we believe in social justice, and so we latch that to whatever calls itself social justice. And another way that we see that happen. Jesus is very emphatic about care for the poor. 
we all agree that we need to be caring for the poor. Yeah. And so this shallow reading says, well, Jesus says we should care for the poor. Therefore, that means government welfare. Well, you've made huge leaps in judgment and logic to go from Jesus says care for the poor to the government should do it. How does the government do that? Well, it does that by taking money from people involuntarily, and it does it by redistributing that to the poor. The biblical picture is that we are to voluntarily, out of the 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 the, the grace that we've been given, share with the poor. We are to bless the poor, but it's not to be compelled. And in fact, it has no value if it's compelled. So you end up with these these ideas that sound right. Well, Jesus cared about racial reconciliation. Jesus cared about the poor. Jesus, yes. And now you've come up with leftist Marxist solutions that have nothing to do with what the Bible's talking about to implement them. Absolutely. And the unfortunate thing is we do have critical issues in our nation right yeah. now. We do need to think about uh, issues concerning homelessness and affordable housing. We do need to think about gender confusion and the gender crisis and, and the conversation concerning sexuality. Uh, we do need to have conversations concerning race and racial reconciliation and how quickly people are abandoning the word of God, uh, as you said, and embracing these godless um, ideologies that are not rooted and grounded in God's word, but instead uh, rooted and grounded in uh, uh, social reforms and uh, government programs uh, that offer no hope, uh, but only offer us moving further away from uh, God being in the public square and God's word and God's people being the bearers of truth and being the bearers of light in a dark world. And it's an absolute tragedy when we have the answers in God's word. Uh, uh, we have the solution uh, for how this broken world could be made right again and how we're seeing people embracing uh, these Marxist ideologies uh, that couldn't be further away from the truth, but are actually antithetical uh, to the truth of God's word. Uh, but we're seeing it happen all the time, whether, it's, like I said, whether it's with race, with gender, with sexuality, whatever the issue is, uh, and embracing critical race theory, embracing critical queer theory, um, and instead of going to the word of God. And when we, you know, this brings up really, I think, a, a pastoral question. And of course, when Jesus says that something is good, that doesn't automatically mean it's supposed to be imposed by the government. Jesus said, love your neighbor. A government can't love. Its job is not to right. love. It is to wield the sword. But we have to be careful about these readings rather than shallow, as I think progressive theology does. But the pastoral question that this brings up, Rob, uh, that I will ask you is, how do we handle this with our people? Because we, we live in a time where there is a lot of social pressure to get on board with these more progressive, quote unquote, solutions. It's much easier to go along in our culture by sort of at least benignly ignoring uh, transgenderism, uh, benignly ignoring gay marriage. And of course, the, the the culture won't let us do that. You will affirm it or you will be canceled. But um, And so there's that pressure. Well, I could wind up in trouble at work. I could lose business. I could wind up, uh, you know, out of, out of step with my social circle if I stand for the truth on these issues. And, and if we're being honest, a way that wasn't true in America 50 years ago, 
from a pastoral perspective, what do we do to help our people, to prepare our people to stand up for the truth and not fall prey to that siren song of liberalism that says, hey, just give that up. Soften your view on that. You can hold to the your, your soul yeah, getting to heaven through Jesus. Question. You can hold to the truth, but just don't worry about these peripheral issues. I've said it before on this podcast, and I'll say it again. We do need to have a long view of history. This mm-hmm. is not the first time that historic Christianity has been under attack, even from within. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned already, uh, we, we saw liberalism and Christianity, uh, liberalism infiltrating Christianity at the beginning of the 21st, 20th century, right. all in the name of cultural accommodation yes. and wanting to remain relevant. We're seeing it again today uh, with progressive Christianity and using phrases like we want to have a big tent where all are welcomed. But it's all throughout history, whether it was in the first century, uh, during the Reformation, whether at the turn of the 20th century, and through the social gospel and social justice movement and liberation theology, it has always been a remnant, a remnant of the people of God that have said, no, we will not allow culture to influence us, but instead we will influence culture through the truth of God's word, not by accommodating culture, not by creating this big tent, whatever that exactly means, uh, not by embracing worldly ideologies and uh, uh, secular philosophies, but we will stand on God's word and remain that, remain steadfast in the truth. And I think we need to, as a people of God, need to be reminded that we have the answer for a lost and dying world. We have an answer in a age of cultural confusion that we need not to deviate from God's truth, but we need to double down upon it. All throughout the New Testament, what do we, we see phrases like, I'm urging you to contend for the faith. Mm-hmm. That idea of contending for the faith that we read in Jude is the idea literally means to wrestle. <laughs> I want you to wrestle. I want you to fight for it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we see Paul, calling out people that are perverting the gospel. Uh, we need to be quick to call out sin. We need to be quick to call out the Christian left. Yeah, tear down uh, strongholds. A, a, every a, absolutely. Blossom. And he actually named names. Yeah. Uh, he said, that, watch out for this person. Uh, he, he calls out the, the church in Galatia. It and does. he says, there are people inside the church that are perverting the gospel, preaching another gospel. And he uses quite harsh language. He says, let, let them be anathema. Right. Let them be accursed. And I, so I think as the, uh, as the church, we've bought this lie. Well, we've got to be, got to be nice, uh, to everyone. We've got to be, uh, nice and we've got to accommodate everyone and every, uh, ideology and every perspective in order to, uh, remain, uh, influential in society. And that could not be further from the truth. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, I know I'm getting fired up right now, but I think it's important yes. uh, that, that we recognize that this is the, the lie and the tactic of the enemy. Uh, the enemy comes to do what? To steal. He's stealing truth. He's stealing gender. He's stealing what we hold dear as the people of God, because Satan knows that we have the keys to the kingdom. He knows that we have the truth uh, that declares the lordship of Christ over all other earthly powers. And so Satan loves when he sees the rise of such things like the Christian left that are no longer embracing the historic Christian faith, but instead embracing the worldly and secular ideas 
ideologies of our day. Well, and I, I praise God. I say we, we need pastors who get fired up about this. So I, I think that's awesome. Uh, I'll ask you about this, Rob, because you've dealt with this really on the front lines as well. You are pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church. You are also very active in the, the your overall denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, a denomination that D. James Kennedy helped to found in the early 1970s and, and really was, uh, again, a, a reaction to this progressive idea, this this corrupting of Scripture. It was a, it was They broke off to say, no, we're standing on the Bible and then have grown and flourished. But you've dealt with this. Uh, there have been problems. And, and again, this is not just a single out the PCI. I talked about the issues in my own Southern Baptist Convention. But um, particularly when it comes to these issues of sexuality, you guys in the PCA have had to face this progressive Christianity as well. Absolutely. And it, it seems to be a reoccurring theme with our denomination. Our denomination founded in the 70s uh, was born out of the concern that uh, the church was embracing liberal Christianity. Right. And, and just for our listeners to understand that the big premise behind liberal Christianity in America in particular was uh, the denial of the supernatural yes. and really a, den- a, 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 a call to not fully embrace the authority of God's word. And, and uh, a, there's sort of the universal brotherhood of man involved in that as well, that it's, we don't make this strong distinction between Christians and non-Christians. We're all God's children equally. It, and so we don't want to, we don't want to make Jesus exclusive. Yeah. He's the best way, but not necessarily the only way. It, exactly. So if the, if the, if the liberal attack on Christianity back in the twenties, thirties, forties, eventually hit our denomination, the Presbyterian church uh, in the 1970s, causing the PCA to, uh, uh, to be born, uh, really the attack was on the authority of God's word. Mm-hmm. The attack today is on the sufficiency of God's word. Interesting. Is God's word sufficient for all of life? And that's why we are seeing the embrace of some leaders, even in evangelicalism, of uh, critical race theory, critical critical queer theory. Um, and so how we've seen it most recently in the PCA, uh, the attack on the sufficiency of God's word, uh, we've really been debating in our denomination over the last four or five years over this idea of same-sex attraction Mm. and whether this is something that disqualifies a leader in our denomination? Does it disqualify a teaching or a ruling elder or a deacon from being an officer in our local congregations? And the big debate comes down to the sufficiency of God's word. Uh, Is same-sex attraction and gay identity something that people are born with and they simply can never get over? And we need to pray that the gospel simply... um, uh, minimizes their uh, attractions, and as long as they never act out on those attractions, they're fine. Uh, that the the sinful attractions in and of themselves are not sinful. Mm. Uh, but but and what happens is uh, the word of God and where the attack on the sufficiency of God's word comes to play is basically we turn the gospel and sanctification into sin management yes. instead of the destruction and the death of sin. Uh, that that the gospel doesn't have the 
power to uh, destroy that sin in a person's heart and their affections. It simply has the uh, the power to minimize it or restrain them from sinning. But sanctification now becomes sin management instead of putting to death the deeds of the flesh and the deeds of the body. So there's been a big debate in our denomination uh, whether the, the gospel really does have the power uh, to destroy sin. Does the, the, the word of God truly sufficient? Uh, they've been, and some in our denomination uh, were caught up in a movement called the Revoice Movement or the Revoice Conference, uh, which uh, embraced people that... Uh, uh, we're dealing with uh, gay identity issues and same-sex attraction, and not only embracing them as Jesus would embrace them, but actually embracing them in such a way that was affirming their identity, yeah. affirming their uh, affirming their attraction as something that they were simply born with and they have no ability to control, and that the gospel has no ability to control. Um, and so, instead of being identified as a Christian, uh, they were saying uh, this is people inside our nomination that it was permissible to also identify as a gay Christian as long as you were celibate as long as you were celibate and uh, you know and and the those that were on the conservative side of this argument and wanted to uphold the sufficiency of God's word uh, pushed back and said uh, men in our church that are dealing with pornography uh, we we don't say this is a porn addict Christian yeah uh, those that are dealing with alcohol we don't say this isn't an alcoholic Christian mm. why in the world would we want to identify anyone who has surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, anything but a Christian. Uh, but these are the debates that we are having, unfortunately, uh, not outside of the church, but in some of the most conservative denominations in North America. And they really are not just semantic disputes. Some people might say that. Some people might get that impression. Well, this is quibbling over words. It's really not, because when you talk about this issue of identity, identifying as a gay Christian, uh, one of the problems with that is there is entailed in that a refusal to let the sinful part of the identity go. And Let's be honest, it's not popular to say in our culture right now, homosexuality is a sin. That's just simply the Absolutely. case. You cannot avoid that, scripturally speaking. And so, as you said, it's it's not just... It's not just quibbling over words. And no. alcohol, I'm an alcoholic Christian. That's my identity. All that means is I'm holding to the sinful part of my identity in yep. addition to the Christian part of it. And we can't be doing that. It, but it seems like maybe the concern is there's a little bit more of an agenda there to smuggle in acceptability. There's someone at that Revoice conference who actually said uh, there will be queer treasure brought into heaven Absolutely. among the other nations. And, and so and this, this is, is not the, just, just words. And this is the big tent movement, the big tent yeah. language of progressive Christianity, of the Christian left. I actually had one pastor in our denomination say, if we reject that the that it's permissible for somebody to identify as a gay Christian, we might as well put a banner on all of our churches, gays not welcome. Mm. But that's the sentiment right now. This is a conservative pastor in a conservative denomination in North America. Wow. And, and that's the danger. That's the danger of the influence. I'm not saying this person's a part of the Christian left, but that's the danger of the influence of the Christian left that they've bought the lie. In order to have cultural influence and relevance, we have to accommodate to the cultural norms, uh, embracing these secular Marxist ideologies in order to fit 
sit in in order to still have a seat at the table. And the danger is, and the reason we're not qu- uh, quibbling over words or semantics is the sufficiency of God's word is at stake. Mm-hmm. The power of the gospel is at stake. The doctrine of sanctification, progressive sanctification is at stake. If we begin to embrace that the Bible is not, does not necessarily have all the answers nor the power to change culture and to change people, but instead we have to look outside of God's word. What does that say about the sufficiency, power, and authority of God's word, of the gospel, and of biblical truth? It's a it's a dangerous ground to be standing on. And of course, the, the proper view that our churches should have is that of course, sinners are welcome in our church, but sin is not welcome at our church. We all recognize that we're sinners, but this is a matter of if I give in to my sin, I identify with my sin, I make it a primary part of who I am, or am I at war with my sin? Christianity has never been more influential in the culture when they have been steadfast and strong on the issues. Mm but gentle and compassionate towards the individuals. And if we can get that, that's grace and truth. Not not grace or truth, right. but it's grace and truth together. at work simultaneously together. Uh, we have the greatest message the world has ever heard, uh, and it's time that we recognize that in a rapidly shifting culture, uh, the last thing we need to do is go along with the current, but we need to sw- swim upstream for the sake of God's word, for the sake of his glory, but also for the sake of the flourishing of all people. Um, We believe in shalom and full human flourishing has only come about, whether it's been in Babylon, whether it's been in Rome, or whether it's been in our modern Babylons and Romes today, uh, will only come about full human flourishing by being steadfast on God's word and on his truth. The apostle Paul runs through a list of sinful identities and then says, to the Christian, and such were some of you. Amen. But you've been washed, you've been changed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified. That's the truth, and that is what's at stake in this this debate and this battle. Absolutely. And the last thing we need to be doing is embracing a political ideology from the left, from a uh, from the seculars of society, in order to gain rele- relevance and influence. Uh, instead, we need to be reminded: this is a call to the church. This is why we talk so much about having a biblical worldview that is informed by the lordship of Christ over all things. We need a robust biblical worldview that says your faith speaks to all of life. And so I think we need to be careful. This is why we're not driven by political ideology. We're driven by something so much bigger, the kingdom of God and his lordship, Christ's lordship over all things and all of life as it's informed to the church by the word of God alone. All I can say to that is amen. Amen, John. And that's a wrap for us at the City of God podcast. I want to thank you once again for tuning in. You can find all previous recordings of the City of God podcast at cityofgodpodcast.com. I also want to thank our friends at the Institute for Faith and Culture. This podcast is made in partnership with them. Also, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Catch uh, the video uh, recording of this podcast on our YouTube page. As always, we hope you would refer this to a friend or a family member as we together tackle today's cultural issues all through the lens of God's infallible word. I want to thank you once again for listening and may God richly bless you.